Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. It's been a whirlwind few weeks with so many important issues in our state, health and healthcare related and not, that it's hard to know exactly where to start. Here on the podcast, it's our plan to just continue doing what we've been doing, exploring interesting and important issues and trying to push the conversation forward. On today's episode, I discuss the ongoing saga of Ohio's attempt to iron out problems with so-called pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, which are the middlemen that play a critical role in determining which prescription drugs many Ohioans are able to access, especially through Medicaid, and at what costs to the state and ultimately individuals. Also, as listeners know, one persistent theme since I started this podcast has been the importance of journalism to understanding health and healthcare issues in Ohio and beyond. From how federal policy impacts our health, to policy being made on the state level, to initiatives taking place in Ohio communities. We've been lucky enough over the past 18 months or so to talk with talented journalists from newspapers across the state. On today's episode, we begin what I hope is going to be an ongoing approach to this work, which is talking to the fantastic reporters at a relatively new outlet, the Ohio Capital Journal, which is not only doing great reporting in the healthcare space, but is very much a sign of the times to come. With many of Ohio's so-called legacy newspapers in decline and a real question about the future of healthcare journalism in our state. Today's guest is Marty Schladen, an experienced reporter now writing for the Ohio Capital Journal, but whom many listeners will know from his great previous work at the Columbus Dispatch. So Marty's been at this for a while and has a lot to offer us. As always, before turning to my conversation with Marty Schladen, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter and Instagram, friending us on Facebook, etc., etc. Also, if you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, as you know, we have a Patreon account. I just want to be straight with listeners and mention one thing to give you a little glimpse behind the scenes. As you may know, this podcast is something of a passion project for me. It's not my job, but it is something I do on weekends and that I really hope has civic and community value. On last week's episode, if you listened, you may have witnessed firsthand the effects of the burnout I've been experiencing personally. Specifically, though, I was super excited and really honored to have Democratic House Leader Representative Amelia Sykes on the show. I embarrassingly forgot to turn on my fancy microphone, which made the podcast, let's just say, less enjoyable to listen to than it could have been. It was a dumb mistake, and I've been kicking myself about it for two weeks now. But really, it was just an effect of doing too many things at once. So this is a great example of the kind of stuff I'm trying to improve to make the quality and sustainability of the show better. And the only way I can do that is by getting some more consistent support. Uh, My producer, Mark, is awesome, but I can't expect him to do a ton without actually helping him to pay his rent. So I'd like to ask you to please consider becoming a patron and contribute a few bucks so that we can continue to grow the show. While you're there, please tell us what issues you'd like us to address or who you'd like to see on the show. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio, and thanks. Okay, now to our guest. Marty Schladen has been a reporter for decades, working in Indiana, Texas, and other places before returning to his native Ohio to work at the Columbus Dispatch in 2017. Now, as I mentioned at the Ohio Capital Journal, Marty has won state and national journalism awards for investigations into utility regulation, public corruption, the environment, prescription drug spending, and other matters. Just a heads up that I'll be linking in the show notes to the articles we discussed, so check those out. We tried to keep the conversation as technically accessible as possible, as possible as you can when talking about pharmacy benefit managers, but you'll definitely benefit from reading Marty's pieces themselves. 
Besides, really, you should be reading them anyway, so go do that. Okay, now to Marty Schladen. So, hey, Marty, thanks so much for joining us to talk a little bit about your reporting on pharmacy benefit managers. Well, I'm happy to be here, Dan. So, you know, we got to start um, with the basics here. Um, pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs, um, they're an issue we've talked about on this show before. Um, it's an issue that you've been following and reporting on for years, um, previously at the Dispatch and now at the Ohio Capital Journal. And just for listeners, I, I don't even know if you know this, Marty, but uh, last year when you did some reporting with your colleagues on PBMs, I was uh, out there. Cha- I, I thought that that should have gotten a Pulitzer personally. I thought it was some of the best investigative reporting I'd seen. But, you know, I don't know if the Pulitzer Committee is really, um, you know, finding PBMs to be the uh, the sexy topic they're looking for. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I really appreciate your saying that. That that's very nice. Um, and actually, we did win a, a really big healthcare award from the uh, National Healthcare Management Foundation. That was also very flattering to receive. Yeah. So I mean, just fantastic reporting. And on this show, we've we've had several reporters on. I I, I love uh, doing you know flipping the script and making reporters answer my questions, which is it's kind of fun. Let's just start a little bit by, you know, acknowledging that PBMs, uh, pharmacy be- benefit managers, it's a it's a complicated topic. It's in many ways a symptom of just how complicated our healthcare system is. Um, let's just ask you, you know, from your reporting, can you just help our listeners to understand a little bit of of what what pharmacy benefit managers are, and um, we can start there. Well, sure. Um, and what I tell people is, it's the most important part of the health system that you've never heard of. Um, These are, some of these are the largest corporations in America, including CVS has a huge pharmacy benefit management presence in the form of a company called CVS Caremark. And they operate as drug middlemen. They exist between the insurance company and the pharmacy. They never handle drugs, they never make drugs but they do other things. They, they create formularies, basically the lists of drugs that are covered. They create the rules over prior authorization. They determine how much they're going to uh, reimburse pharmacies for drugs that the pharmacies have bought from wholesalers. And that whole, that's where a lot of the trouble lies is because that whole pricing system they use is very non-transparent. And then lastly, they, they reconcile claims. They basically get the money from the insurer, whether it be a government program like Medicaid or private insurance. They get the money from that party to the pharmacy so that they can be paid back for the drugs they've uh, bought and dispensed. So, you know, in February 2019, Attorney General Yost announced that his office was going to move against one company accused of bilking. Um, the, I love the word bilk. It's just not used enough. Uh, yeah. The Bureau of Workers' Comp. Um, and he promised that there were going to be a lot more actions against PBMs to really rein them in. You know, the language is really important here. You know, um, the goal was to hold these PBMs accountable for what you describe as an obscure scheme. Um, the language of a veil of secrecy crops up here as well. And we're talking about, you know, um, a quarter billion dollars or more, right, just uh, for Medicaid drugs. Right? Um, so I wonder if you could just, you know, give us a little bit of a, 
a sense, you know, you note that a lot of this hasn't come to pass. That in 2019 there were there was a lot of promising going on. Where are we today? Um, and and what's what's your kind of assessment of what the state of things is? Well, there is a lot of frustration out in the pharmacy community. Uh, particularly, they feel as if they've been under reimbursed from Medicaid for drugs, you know, to the point where they're, they're losing money and many are going out of business. Uh, when we first started covering this uh, back in, I guess was the 2018, spring of 2018 timeframe, there was a, a big political to do. A lot of members of the legislature said something needs to happen, partly because Medicaid is uh, a, a very expensive program, $26 billion a year in Ohio, federal and state money. And you know, there's, a, I think, a, a correct feeling that that money should be used as efficiently as possible to uh, provide health care to poor people. So there's a lot of lawmakers who, who passed laws and declared action and, you know, big promises were made within two Medicaid departments. And things have been done, like the State Department of Medicaid went to, to a pass-through pricing system, and I don't want to get too arcane, but there's a big feeling among um, the pharmacy community that it hasn't really fixed these reimbursements for them. And meanwhile, the, the attorney general said that there were going to be so many shoes to drop legally, it would be like a DSW store. Yet at this point, there's only one lawsuit in the courts. Um, and I guess in defense of the attorney general, these, these suits can be really complicated and uh, big corporations like United Health can hire a lot of lawyers and you know, do a lot of fighting. So, you know, and, and in 2019 also, there was some movement in the General Assembly. Uh, they had this goal of creating a single Medicaid pharmacy benefit manager program. And we have like all these different pieces. And there's just seems to be there, at least this is my reading of it, that there's just this desire to simplify things so we can actually see what's going on. What, what's come of that, that, that goal of, of removing the complexity of this approach? Well, the Department of Medicaid is in the process of creating a, a single PBM, which, let, as you say, they hope is going to create new transparency. We've spoken to a woman, uh, well, we, when I was at the dispatch, uh, spoke to a woman um, out of Philadelphia named Linda Kahn, who's an expert. She's a lawyer and she's an expert in all of this stuff. And she's of the opinion that, uh, you know, one PBM can rip off the state just as easily as multiple ones. Um, the real trick is to bulletproof the contracts. So, um, you know, I, I no expert. I want to give that caveat, but I don't know that having a single PBM guarantees transparency uh, unless, you know, we can have access to the uh, price lists that that PBM uses when they determine their reimbursements. Yeah. And also, I mean, we've talked about it on this show and I, I talk with my students at Ohio University about the fact that transparency as a value is often oversold. Um, transparency is fine, but we all, we oftentimes don't know what would actually come from increased transparency. There's this, it's like intuitively this, you know, really attractive thing, but it's not the cure-all for these problems. Well, right. And, that, and I think that's a, a big lesson that I've learned through this is that, um, 
somebody will say something that sounds hopeful, a law that seems hopeful will get passed and nothing changes uh, or the problem doesn't get solved. And that just indicates that we're talking about a very complex system and huge amounts of money. And there's probably not a silver bullet. Although I don't know if you're familiar with what West Virginia did, but that strikes me as probably the most likely thing. And for some reason, that's just not been embraced here in Ohio. Can you just give us a snapshot of what that is? Sure. They, uh, the, the state pulled apart the constituent functions. They just they unbundled the system so that they could see what was going on inside. They, they, um, they hire subcontractors, but they have them each perform individual tasks, you know, and I, and they also, uh, involved the university of West Virginia school of pharmacy in the, uh, formulary management prior authorization piece. They've actually got academics like you handling that. And then in terms of, uh, you know, uh, aggregating, uh, rebates, they've got one company doing that in terms of, uh, managing price lists and reimbursements to pharmacies. They've got one company doing that. And then, you know, cl- claims reconciliation, they've got a contractor doing that. And in that way, they're able to see every part of the system and they claim to have saved millions and millions of dollars that way. Yeah. I mean, so many parts of the American healthcare systems as it stands, uh, you know, th- there's so much complexity that it's sometimes even just hard to see the various pieces working and it's really high. It's, it's easier to hide things, right? It's easier to sweep things under the rug or to kind of buck past to say, Oh no, it's the, they're the ones who are causing that problem. When in fact, the problem may be rooted somewhere else. And that was how uh, one expert described it to us. And I think it's a really good uh, way of understanding it. It's like, you know, when you buy your, your cable and your phone and your internet all in a bundle, uh, it, it's very convenient. You only you're only dealing with one vendor, one transaction, and you just assume that economies of scale or whatever are going to make it cheaper. But you don't really know that. And um, I wonder whether some of these uh, PBM arrangements came about partly they you know maybe started off uh, saving money, but you've got these overworked state officials running these hugely complex Medicaid programs. And this was just one aspect of it that, you know, took care of itself. You hired a managed care company, the managed care company hired the PBM, problem solved. So I'm sure that some listeners are going to be hearing this conversation, um, you know, within the context of national healthcare discussions and this drive to simplicity. And even though we've done, I think, the best job we can so far, simplifying an extremely wonky, complicated issue, you know, it's still attractive to say, God, if we could just simplify all this, and maybe that simplification needs to be part of the next wave of healthcare reform discussions. Um, You know, we've been talking about this issue for years. Uh, You've been reporting on on it for years. Um, We've talked about all these different metaphors, the veil of secrecy. You talked about David Yost's uh, um, shoe metaphor, which took me a little while. I hadn't thought of DSW in a bit. But he also talks about, and you quote this in in your recent article, uh, the first, he talks about the first raindrops within a storm that's coming, right? He's sort of saying, look, we, we, we have not just dropped the ball on this. We are uh, mobilizing. We have our lawyers doing the due diligence that they need to do to do a good job uh, taking on this issue. But 
you know, people want action faster and legislators want action fast as well. If you were to take a, a guess based on the way you see forces going, I mean, uh, you know, do, do you see the next year or the rest of this year and next year as being pivotal or, or different in some way? Or do you think that this issue is kind of like it, it is fizzling out in some way? You know, I know you're a journalist, but what, what, what kind of how would you analyze the forces that you see at work? Well, in, in terms of the Department of Medicaid, we've been writing uh, quite a few stories about this. Um, they are task saturated right now. Um, they've shown that they have some difficulty even delivering on, you know, things that you would think are pretty basic. For example, um, the legislature last year appropriated $100 million to uh, supplement pharmacies that have a high proportion of Medicaid personnel. That money was supposed to be available on January 1st. Uh, they still haven't figured out a way to distribute it. Now they're talking about pulling it back to balance the budget. Um, yeah. You know, there's this business about provider numbers. That was also supposed to be, they, pharmacists were supposed to be able to get provider numbers to do consultations and, you know, provide medical services. That was supposed to happen in January. Now they're talking about it happening uh, next year. Uh, and in the middle of all this, they are working on a re-procurement of their managed care, uh, which is, I know that sounds dry as dust and bureaucratic and all that, but I'm told by people in the industry that that's a huge deal. Um, and they're dealing with coronavirus. And Mike DeWine has put Medicaid Director Maureen Corcoran in charge of the state's response to uh, nursing homes. So mm -hmm. I'm just a little worried that there's not the bandwidth there to deal with this other huge problem. And I know that some lawmakers are pretty frustrated about that. Yeah. I mean, the, the convergence of forces that we've been through over the last three or four months, it's derailed any number of issues. I know that my colleagues and I, just in a smaller way, there were issues we were discussing in February, even the first week of March, and literally the emails dropped off on these issues that were everything to us at that time because so much changed and we were just responding and with something like Medicaid during a time of economic collapse, but also a genuine public health emergency. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to pick up those pieces, but the long-term fiscal stability of our state probably depends us being able to do that at the same time in, in many ways as well. Well, that's a fantastic point, Dan. And I don't want to act like everybody else except those of us in the press who've been covering this are to blame. Um, because what you're saying is exactly right. You know, the Medicaid rolls are swelling. Um, the need for healthcare, I think, is going to start to spring back up as people come in for the you know, their delayed medical services. And then COVID-19 is going to take its cut of all this. Meanwhile, government revenues are dropping. So it's more critical than ever to make sure that if corporations are extracting more than they should from this system that we need to get on top of that now more than ever. Something like this, aside from the extraordinary technical detail that's required to solve something like the PBM mess that we've been in, um, we are in the middle of a national conversation um, within the context of the presidential election, of course, 
um, big changes in healthcare. COVID has brought a lot of this to the fore, but so has Black Lives Matter and and the social justice focus of the moment. So I guess I would just like to ask you, uh, when you talk to people about this issue, when you talk to policymakers um, or just other things you've observed in your reporting, what do you think the larger lessons are for us within the context of just pharmaceuticals? I mean, we talk about, you know, uh, Medicare negotiating uh, drug prices, um, the importation from Canada question that always keeps coming up and, and maybe other countries. What does the PBM issue tell us about you know, within the larger context of your healthcare reporting? Well, it it raises big concerns about whether, you know, the, these huge amounts of money that are being spent to address health disparities um, are ending up in the pockets that need them. Uh, you know, I mean, what we had a story, I, I guess it was a few weeks ago now, um, that the federal money appropriated under the CARES Act to hospitals, uh, you know, it's like $140 billion tranche of money. The lion's share of that money ended up in at the hospitals that needed it the least. Hospitals like the Cleveland Clinic that have, you know, locations in Dubai and venture funds and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that uh, I, these when um, corporations are able to figure out ways to uh, suck up more than their fair share of the healthcare spend, it just exacerbates these social inequalities that we've been forced to deal with. In a way, like so many issues in healthcare, I've pointed out to a few folks that one of my favorite moments in the national healthcare debates was when Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina, a Republican, said, "You know, you know, this is when they were trying to repeal the ACA in 2017 after the Trump administration began." And Lindsey Graham said, "Look, if we don't do this, we're getting single payer." Um, because we have problems that, and we need to solve the problems for people. If we want to make a case to them that we want all the single payer talk to go away, <laughs> you know, Medicare for all talk to go away, then we have to solve the problems. And the PBM issue is like one of those issues in there that's just saying, look, it's, it's like, you know, just siren going off saying, here's another example why this system is unsustainable in its current form. And people like Dave Yost um, and Mike DeWine or um, Director Corcoran are going to have to address these issues in substantive ways if they don't want the, the bigger questions to come that they may not want to see on some level. I think that's that's another really good point. And um, that's one thing I've been very encouraged by as we've reported this is uh, politically, this has turned out to be pretty low-hanging fruit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, of course – you know, who knows what happens when people consider who's contributing to whose campaigns or whatever, but Democrats and Republicans can get behind the idea that a corporation might be engaging in anti-competitive practices to line its pockets and, you know, with taxpayer money. Right. No, it's funny. I was thinking about one, one of the lines in your reporting. I can't remember if it was the recent article or a, um, a a past article, but I, I wrote a little note in my uh, in the margins here. It said when you think about it, gouging both Ohio pharmacies and taxpayers seems like an incredible feat. You know, <laughs> like I mean, you know, there's this convergence of different forces, and you know, you can bring together. That's the whole strange bedfellows part of healthcare reform, where all of a sudden 
groups that seemed to be oppositional might align and everybody might look, for example, at insurance companies or pharmaceutical companies or hospitals and say, okay, you know, you've created a new alliance and that's, that's a real recipe for change. It sure is. And it's, you know, maybe I'm just a dreamer, but I think that um, this is an issue that's not ideological. You know, we all believe that if you're going to have a free market, it needs to be a well-functioning marketplace. And, that's what I've been told by people who study this stuff for a living is these kinds of practices, this complete lack of transparency uh, is a sign of a non-functioning marketplace. Well, Marty, um, as I said at the beginning, I mean, I re- really appreciate your reporting. I um, I don't know what we would do without folks like you shining a light on these wonky, complex issues and making them digestible for, um, for readers. Uh, you know, we are hoping to have more discussions like this with folks like you at the Ohio Capital Journal um, and uh, appreciate the reporting you're doing. And I just want to thank you for being the first uh, reporter from the Ohio Capital Journal to come on. Maybe you can tell your friends that, uh, you know, your colleagues that it's it's not so scary and we'd love to talk with them. Um, but I, I just think it's really important that not only we read your reporting, but that we continue a conversation after the reporting's out so we can keep moving forward. I couldn't agree more, Dan, and I really appreciate your having me on because, uh, you know, you can write about all this stuff all you want, but if nobody knows about it, it has no effect. Well, Marty, we'll keep reading and uh, you keep writing. And thanks for taking some time to talk with me. Thank you. My many thanks to Marty Schladen for joining us on the show. You can follow him on Twitter. And of course, we highly recommend that you read his actual reporting at the Ohio Capital Journal. While you're there, check out some of the great reporting Marty's colleagues are doing at the Ohio Capital Journal as well. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the podcast experience tab. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio and follow us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio and friend us on Facebook. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and be well.